If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Happy Hour Well, hello there, my friends. Yes, it's that time again. Oh my gosh, I thought it would never come. But yes, it's time again for another episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. We are so excited. Uh, my name is Keith Giles, and uh, I am one of your three hosts. Uh, I am the author of a new book, Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And I'm joined by my co-host, Matt and Jamal. Hi, guys. This is Jamal. It's an honor to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour podcast with you guys. And I'm Matt DiStefano, author of uh, Heretic and a couple other books, and we're so excited to be uh, doing episode 27. Uh, so let's get right into it with first a word from our sponsor. And they are, as always, Unfundamentalist Group Blog, who are focused on following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor, and they're dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online at facebook.com slash unfundamentalist or read their blog at unfundamentalists with an S dot com. And before I give it to Jamal, he has a special announcement. I have a special announcement, and it is that we just passed 1,000 members in our Facebook group. Okay, so sorry. amped about that. <laughs> but no, thank you. Like, I mean, this is, it's it's mind-blowing, you know, how many people have jumped on board to engage in the dialogues. And I'm just, I'm just blown away that so many of you are in the Facebook group, chatting with us, engaging with us, asking us questions, giving us show topics. It's, yeah. it's uh, super, super cool. What's even more amazing is like some of those people in the Facebook group have actually listened to the podcast. That's monumental. Some of them. <laughs> Some of them have. Some of them have actually listened to the podcast and are maybe listening right now. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't, what the fuck? Come on now. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Are you guys serious that the Facebook group uh, that's titled the Heretic Happy Hour is actually connected in some way to this podcast? Is that true? Uh, loosely, loosely connected. Is, that's, 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 that's what our producer is telling yes. us. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine just imagine if everybody in the group actually listened to the podcast that would be amazing well what, what, oh. wouldn't it be amazing if everyone in the facebook group actually knew about the podcast that would wouldn't be, that good be? That would, that, that's a good first <laughs> those point. are always my favorite comments when they go you guys have a podcast oh, that's great <laughs> like seriously like how in the world did you miss that <laughs> <laughs> oh well. it's funny well well, that's yeah. That's it's it's a huge landmark, and that's exciting. And um, but but before we get into the to the the topic of of this episode, I I do feel like it'd be appropriate to just make an announcement if I could do that. Can I just take a couple minutes for this announcement? Oh yeah, yeah. Please, a, a couple minutes. Well, just a minute. Yeah, I think well, you, well, you got one minute. You got one minute. Yeah, we felt like okay, <laughs> it it would be good to like when we were creating the podcast, we just knew that the the topics we're discussing would elicit thoughts, strong opinions, either for, or even maybe against or frustrated frustration or whatever, you know, these are, these are not easy topics that we, we talk about on the podcast. So we thought, what would it be like if we had a hotline, oh. like a, like a lot, like a phone line? I like that. I like that, that idea. Yeah. Good. People could call in and like, talk about what they were feeling, oh. what they're thinking, um, can they, they text could just, though? Could they send a text too though? Well, see, that's the thing. Yeah. It's not like the old days in which, you know, people were sitting in front of these desks with the, um, the whole, you know, like the, the phones and, and like they could, it would just answer it. And, you know, you'd obviously have to have it staffed around the clock. This, because of technology, we have the ability to go to voicemail and oh. I'm not talking about answering machine. I'm talking about actually voicemail wow. and also like people can send in text messages. It's like, and I'm not talking about telegraph or or anything like that i'm talking about actual text messages i'm not talking about a fax just huh. text people can text sms text i'm getting X, text. SMX. i'm very i'm getting confused now and we'll get it at all hours of the day or night seven days a week 365 days a year so it literally means our hotline is available to you 24 7 and this around is around the clock groundbreaking and historic so wow. 
Um, so if you, just so if you guys get uh, you know get your pencils out, make sure they're sharpened. And here's the number. Uh, the number of the hotline is two four zero three heresy. If you have a rotary device, and if not, uh, it's two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. You don't need to dial one. You do oh. because it's like if you have a cellular phone, you can just dial it two four zero three four three seven three seven nine. And we actually have a voicemail for this week. Can we Whoa. cue that up? Hello, Heretic. I just discovered your podcast and I've been enjoying it. However, I just listened to the most recent episode about Mary Magdalene. And I have to say, it was one of the most frustrating things I've ever heard. <laughs> Jamal dodged questions better than any politician that I've ever seen dodge questions. <laughs> there basically was nothing at all told about Mary Magdalene. The only source quoted was Dan Brown, and I don't know what to do with the information I just got. I'm not inspired to look further into the thing, but it makes me want to question what in the world the whole point of the conversation was about, because I don't feel like I learned anything from it. Other than that, you did a great job. Love the interview at the beginning of the show. Have fun. Later. Wow. Well, well another satisfied customer. Here we go. <laughs> Well, well, maybe you know what? We just punked him. Basically, let's tell him we, the whole thing was a joke. We just punked you, man. Uh, it was all made up. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, first of all, I think I have a few thoughts. Well, first of all, to the caller who left that voicemail, thank you for. I appreciate your I appreciate your voicemail. I mean that sincerely. Like I think, um, I think it's important that you felt like you could voice your frustration. I mean, I don't really know what to say other than. I was struck personally <clears throat> by that episode. Um, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts. I have my own personal podcast called The Lovecast. And I also, you know, obviously we've been part of the Heritage Happy Hour. And that episode by far got the most amount of uh, uh, traction as far as like personal messages that I can remember in a long time. I got a lot of Facebook messages, emails about people that just communicated to me like, wow they really liked that episode. It brought up a lot of questions in their mind. And they asked me, cause I, I said on the episode, Hey, look, if this is something that you feel like stirs you in any way and you have any questions or you just want to know more of my journey, just message me privately. I'd be glad to dialogue with you. I did that for a reason and it got a ton of, of love, like of response. Uh, and so it's interesting that this caller said, yeah, he felt like he got nothing out of it. Um, and I think that's actually the response I was looking for as well. Um, and the reason I say that is because, and again, this isn't like about right or wrong, bad or good. This is the response you should have or shouldn't have. I honestly don't feel like the conversation I had about Mary Magdalene is really for everybody. Uh, and in, in, in that sense, I feel like it's, you have to be at a place where you want to investigate this further. I don't just want to put it out there. Um, because I have found in my own experience, if you just put things out there, um, that sometimes people will disdain it and then use it against you or trash the conversation. So, um, and again, I'm not accusing the caller of doing that, but like sometimes if you speak plainly, then everybody will understand what you're saying and that's not what you want. And sometimes if you mask it a little bit, like this caller thought, like I was using political language, like a politician, but in some ways I was just trying to mask the conversation from people who aren't interested because I think that there's some wisdom in that. I think you see Jesus doing that too. Um, sometimes you, he didn't speak plainly and the, the conventional wisdom is why don't you just speak plainly so everybody can know? Cause it's really not for everybody um, in that sense. So I really don't think this conversation about Mary Magdalene is for everybody. And that's totally fine. If somebody's not interested, great. That's, it's really not an issue. Um, right. I just really wanted to put it out there for people who felt like they wanted to go further with it. And again, I've had great dialogue with those folks. Yeah. You're just playing hard to get, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I think that's all it is. Yeah. No, I, I, mean, I get it. I get, I, I get both sides. I mean, I, I understand like for me, I don't know much about Mary Magdalene simply because I don't think there's a lot from a historical perspective that we can really, um, glean from it. Um, there's not, there's not a lot about her. So I just haven't found interest in it, but at the same time, it's like, well, for those who do want to you know, talk to Jamal about it. Great. That's wonderful. Right. And hopefully people do get some stuff from it. I don't necessarily need to get some sort of amazing insights, you know, you know, sometimes, sometimes episodes are going to be swings and misses for people. Sure. And sometimes they're going to be pure gold. It, you know, it's just, 
it's 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 weird how that works. Yeah, and and honestly, I think to me that's the that's what the entire podcast is. I I think the podcast itself isn't for everybody. I have a lot of good friends who love my blog, love my books, but they don't listen to the podcast. They just it's just and I tell them, look, it's just not for you. You're not the audience, and that's all right. Uh, and then even you know, episode to episode. We're going to talk about some things. And again, the three of us don't agree on everything. So there'll be certain episodes where, well, you know, it's not going to hit everybody. And that's, I think that's okay. Well, I think what we see the value in just having the conversation and putting it out there and, and discussing it. And then again, if it, if it is interesting to you, then, you know, you can look into it. If it's not, then oh, hopefully we at least entertained you in the process of having the conversation. Yeah. And not everyone's on the right team. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go Wolverines. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so you mentioned texts earlier, Jamal. Do we do we have anything like that <laughs> coming? I through? wish we had. A text. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I am so glad you mentioned that, Matt, because we did receive a text into the to the uh, the the hotline. And so here's the text. Can we cue that up? Okay, hot off the presses. Hot off the presses. Here it is, right here. Okay, quote. This is from a, a listener. I've really enjoyed the Patre Patreon extra content and especially appreciate the ones which consist of after talk following a regular podcast. Hearing your thoughts, reactions, et cetera, is very interesting and gives me a chance to kind of mentally debrief myself as well. As always, thank you for the Heretic Happy Hour. I hope you continue to find great joy in providing it. Um, unquote. So that really, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, the, the, the listener actually has uh, is a part of our Patreon team, which um, which is really awesome. We get to provide extra content for our Patreon supporters, so really appreciate that text. Glad you're enjoying the extra content, and uh, that I think sets Keith up mm. to make a. I think he has a pretty pretty grand announcement to make. Yes, well. yes, I I do, and uh, you're right. It's a perfect segue into talking about our Patreon page. So yes, uh, as the person who texted us mentioned. We do have a Patreon page. If you go to Patreon slash Heretic Happy Hour, you'll find it. And uh, yeah, you can subscribe. We have different levels you can subscribe to, or I guess not subscribe, but um, support us financially. And um, yeah, and then by doing that, you help us. Like we just reached our first goal. So we unlocked uh, our first uh, tier goal, which is to create a board game called The Heretic's Journey, A Slippery Slope. And that's coming out soon. We're excited about that. We're working on our second goal, which will hopefully allow us to take the podcast to a weekly level. And we really want to do that. We're really excited about being able to do this every week. Um, and yeah, as a, as a thank you for our supporters, we provide bonus content. So at the end of every interview and at the end of every uh, episode, we kind of let the tape keep rolling and record another 15, 20 minutes or so of uh, you know another question, another topic. We go a little deeper and stuff. Uh, and, and we love, by the way, we love creating that content. It's so much fun. And it's great to be able to share it with the people that support us as a way of saying thank you. So uh, as a way of saying thank you, let's also uh, mention that we have some new subscribers or supporters, uh, patrons to the Patreon page uh, since our last episode. And that would be Jordan Halfcock, Dennis Rice, Jim Thornton, my friend Jim Thornton, by the way, Jim Thornton is a pastor of the church in Grafton, Ohio, and he just he just uh, flew me out there to speak at his church uh, last weekend. So that was a, that was a blast. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Michelle Katz, Clara Ovando, and Steve Gillette. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. All right. And, uh, well, I think it's time now for our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hello, I'm Keith Giles, and I'm a heretic. Hi, hi Keith. Keith. <laughs> Keith, did you say hi, Keith, too? Yes, I did. I said hi to myself. Yes. That's great. Keith Giles, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but what we like to do is interview someone each week. We call them the Heretic of the Week. Uh -huh. And we just want to get them on board here and just get their thoughts on things. So Keith, welcome to the show. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I've heard a lot about your podcast. Um, uh, I've joined your Facebook group. I haven't had a chance to listen to your podcast yet, but um, yeah, it's, it sounds really good. But you knew there's a podcast, right? Well, I, yeah, I just found out recently. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to be a part of this. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, Keith, you've got, you've mentioned a few times, you've got a new book coming out, or actually by the time we're recording this, it's already out. Yes. 
and I'm sure you're excited. Um, can you tell us a little bit, just give us a, like a quick elevator pitch on what this book is and why did you write it? What, um, what goals did you have in mind when you were writing this thing? Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So my, my new book is called Jesus Unbound. Uh, the subtitle is Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And the, the book is, yeah, got him. here it comes. Yeah. I, I got to get used to that one. Uh, yeah. So the book is talking about basically what if the Bible actually keeps us from hearing the word of God. And I think for many Christians, and I was this way too, <clears throat> for the longest time, I think early on in my, my Christian walk, uh, you know, for many Christians, the Bible, you know, it's like the only way we know anything about God is through this book. And it's almost like the, the third person of the Trinity, the father, the son, and the Holy Bible. Um, but here's the thing is like, I've, I've, I've began to understand that, you know, according to the Bible, if you really want to say, okay, what does the Bible tell you? What the Bible tells you is that everyone can know God directly through an actual connection and relationship, uh, through Christ. And we can know God and have a relationship with him and be connected to the divine. And that's what the Bible says. Like the Bible doesn't point us to the Bible. The Bible points us to a person that we could have a relationship with Jesus and that through knowing him, we could know God. And so really all I'm trying to do is to help Christians um, understand the difference. And like, we don't worship the Bible. We don't, I don't, I personally don't want a biblical world. I want a more Christ-like world. And that those are, those are different things. They're not the same thing. So that's, uh, that's quite kind of why I wrote the book, wanting to hopefully clarify for people in their minds. There's a huge difference between the word of God being a person and the word of God being a book. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Keith, um, first of all, um, let me just say that I think you've really crossed into heresy grounds with this book. Uh. <laughs> yeah. It's not a bad thing at all. Um, um, but when you say that you don't want a biblical world, you want a Christ-like world, can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, because for many people, that makes no sense to them because a biblical world in their mind is a Christ-like world because, well, Jesus is in the Bible and the Bible's about Jesus. So how can you say that? So here's what I mean is that um, if you, if you only have a biblical view and you only want a biblical world or a biblical anything, um, the problem with that is that the Bible can be used and has been used very successfully throughout history. The Bible has been used uh, to justify things like slavery, uh, patriarchy, genocide, um, you know, many, many things, really horrible, horrible things. Um, and so that's why I'm nationalism. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, you can make a pretty long list of pretty horrific things that the Bible has been used to justify. And so, uh, but to have a Christ like world, if you're, if you start with Christ and you, first of all, my conviction is that it has to start with us personally, directly, uh, as Jesus says, abiding in him and him abiding in us. Like we have to really ourselves begin a relationship and a connection with God through Christ and this abiding. And we ourselves begin to experience this transformation uh, within ourselves and our own. So our way of thinking changes, our way of understanding changes. It becomes Christ-like. It becomes Christ-centered. That if you start there, uh, then some of these things that would be biblical, like slavery or patriarchy or genocide or nationalism, those things suddenly come off the table. Like, no, I can't justify that if my starting point is Christ. And that's what I mean by that. I, I don't think, again, I think the Bible is, is good for, for many things, uh, but I think it, it, if you only have the Bible and your starting point isn't Christ, you're going to end up in some pretty bad places or potentially could end up in some pretty bad places. Mm. Okay. So I think the question that is raised for me, and, and I, I, I think I know where you're going to be coming from on Keith, Keith, but in case people are, are first time listeners or something, when you say um, more like Christ, what do you actually mean practically by that? Um, because for me, it seems that at least in my experiences, a lot of Christian, all Christians say that they're trying to be Christ-like or Jesus-like. I guess it then comes down to who's Jesus or who's Christ. And what, what do you mean by that specifically? Right. Well, and that's like, yeah, that's a really good 
question. Um, and I, I think that's a good point. I think, again, if you, if you take sort of a flat Bible perspective and you, and I, by the way, I have friends who do exactly this and it's, it's almost impossible to have a conversation with them about anything. Uh, because I start with my starting point is Jesus. I, I start with Jesus. I start with the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that's where I start. And so with the person of Jesus and what he said, what he taught, his example, the way he lived, uh, and even a lot of what Paul uh, talks about, what we, we term the cosmic Christ, right? Of sort of like how that begins to move into even more of a spiritual uh, reality and, and that kind of a thing. So that's where I start. Now, some people, what they'll do is they'll, take, again, take a flat Bible perspective and they'll say, yeah, yeah, but see, um, Jesus was also, uh, since Jesus is God and Jesus was with God from the beginning, as it says in John, in the gospel of John, well, that means that I'm hearing the voice of Jesus when I read the old Testament and I read God commanding genocide. That was Jesus too. And like, to me, no, that, no, it's not. <laughs> that's, that's going the wrong direction. You're, you're trying to basically define Jesus by the old covenant scriptures versus um, starting with Jesus and letting Jesus define everything else. So I think it's the starting point. I think it depends on where you start from and that'll determine where you end up. Uh, and I think the, the, the times I've run into basically a dead end with, with some Christians is when they do take this position that, oh no, I'm, I'm hearing the voice of Jesus when I read you know, David talking about bashing the babies against the rocks. That's Jesus too. Like, well, no, it's not. Uh, Like as far as like just the whole, oh, we got to find Christ in, in, (laughs) in all the scriptures. And it's like, can you find Christ in bashing babies heads against rocks? (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Well, 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 people with a, with a different Jesus might, I think, and and, and I'm not going to shit on Mark Driscoll, but Mark Mark Driscoll's Jesus would probably be found all throughout the whole, you know, well, well, yeah. Old and new. T- I mean, you know. Yeah. Well, because and and uh, our friend Mark Driscoll is a good example, um, because like what he loves to do is to like his favorite Jesus, as he's he's very famously said, right? Uh, Mark Driscoll's favorite version of Jesus is not the Jesus who's turn the other cheek, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, Father, forgive them, and they know what they do. Not that Jesus. His favorite Jesus is in Revelation when he's riding on this white stallion with a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's, you know, uh, he's going to kick some ass, basically. There's this kick-ass God. Um, and that's how Mark Driscoll defines Jesus, right? So, uh, again, that's another problem where you take uh, a passage that's intended to be apocalyptic hyperbole, that's actually intended to be almost a, uh, a farcical twist on apocalyptic literature, and it's sort of subverting it uh, and presenting Jesus, yes, at face value as this violent guy on a horse with a sword dipped, you know, when a robe dipped in blood. But when you kind of dig down a little bit, you know, a couple of layers deeper, what you realize is like what's really happening is it's very ironic that the blood is his own blood, that he's the Lamb of God who is overcome by by his own life, that he's surrendered his own life by his own death, right? The sword coming out of his mouth is the gospel, the good news that sets people right. free. Like it's not. So again, yes. Which, which, I, which Paul said is the gospel of peace, right? <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. Paul, when Paul right. does the whole armor of God thing, right, right. He talks about the gospel of peace. Uh, and so, yeah, it's not this violent thing. And, and unfortunately we are violent. Uh, a lot of us are, you know, we kind of come out of the box with sort of this violent, uh, idea of reality. And so, and we, we obviously project that onto God. I think that's what's happening a lot in the old covenant scriptures is people projected onto God, their own violence, their, what their, their own ideas of justice and, and those kinds of things. And Jesus came, this is the, this is the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus shows up and completely contradicts that turns it on its head. Uh, and I think this is the whole point, really. That's what I'm trying to say in Jesus unbound is that Jesus makes a difference. Like that Jesus shows up and we cannot read the old covenant scriptures as if Jesus had never shown up, as if Jesus had never come and, and said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you know, that Jesus is, is correcting a misunderstanding about who God really was, uh, that we were wrong about God and that Jesus showed up to, to show us that we were wrong about who God was. And he shows us a picture of, a, of an Abba, a daddy, a papa 
who is loving, who forgives in a heartbeat, who doesn't require blood or, or punishment, who just loves, who just forgives. Uh, Jesus did that. Jesus just forgave people all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he told the parable, you know, the, the beautiful story of the prodigal son, which is a, which is a beautiful, powerful story that completely subverts uh, every idea of God up to that point of who God is and what God is like. Well, Keith, well, thank you for sharing. I mean, that's just, it's, that's so it's, it's monumental what you're sharing. I mean, it's a game changer in so many ways, but I'm just curious because you grew up in Texas, correct me if I'm wrong, grew up in Texas, South, yep. you know, and yep. I mean, not to knock on Texas. I love Texas. I used to live in Texas, but um, I mean, it's the South and, and, and you know, the evangelical, the Bible belt, evangelical world. I mean, this is like very, I mean, you grew up in the midst of that. And I think like you were raised in a, in a Christian family in the sense of a typical evangelical Christian family. You're part, believe you were a Southern Baptist. I mean, you were yep. steeped in a, 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 what I would consider, you know, the Christian form of, 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 you know, I don't, maybe I wouldn't use that language, but I, I will say <laughs> you, you're, you're steeped in, you know, people who, who literally are worshiping the Bible, even though they would not say that, but they hold the Bible in such a high regard that it's like, literally it is a flat Bible. Every word that's printed on every page is the inspired, infallible, inerrant yep. word of God. That's how they viewed it. And I know that that's, that's probably what you believed for a long time. So I'm just curious, like, how does someone like you just steeped in this, this tradition and doctrine um, who would call the Bible the Word of God, get to this point where you're writing a book about liberating the Word of God from the Bible. Like, how does that happen? How did you come to this awareness, so to speak? Yeah, well, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, like an overnight single event. You know what I mean? Um, I think it was a sort of a series of events. Slowly, I just started, well, probably the first thing that happened was I moved away from Texas and I moved away from those mm-hmm. influences. I, uh, My wife and I, Wendy and I moved out here to California about 20, uh, five or six years ago and, um, and made a decision at that point that we didn't want to be defined by our parents, uh, like, our, cause both of our parents were Southern Baptists and it was sort of like, we needed to find out who we were. We needed to discover our own faith and not just sort of borrow the inherited faith of our parents. And so we just started visiting a whole bunch of different kinds of churches uh, tried to find a place that we felt at home. We ended up uh, joining a, uh, a vineyard church out here in Newport Beach, and we're part of a vineyard movement for a while. And that was good for a while, but after, but even uh, even after a while, that started. We started to outgrow that. We started to feel like, yeah, there's parts of this we like, but there's a, a lot of it. It isn't really us. It doesn't really fit. Um, and then about eleven years ago or so, right, we. We left that church. We felt like God was calling us to start a church. And uh, we said yes to that. And then after we said yes to that, God said, I want you to start a church that gives away all the offering, uh, 100% of it, to the poor in the community. And you guys don't keep any of it for yourself. And so that's when we started meeting in homes. And I got a job in the real world to support my family. And um, and so so it probably started from there, right? You know what I'm saying? It was, uh, I, I think my personal... Like the biggest, the biggest piece of deconstruction for me, and it was right before, probably about 12 years ago, it was about a year before we left to start the house church. Um, I had a conversation with a guy named Todd Hunter, and he blew my mind with the, re- with the idea that the gospel wasn't about saying a prayer so you could go to heaven when you die. And that was, that was a big shock to me. And I was like, what do you mean it's not about that? Because mm-hmm. I thought it was. And then he said, well, no, the gospel is about what Jesus says it is. And the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the gospels, uh, what Jesus says the good news is, is that anyone and everyone right this very second can begin to live in the kingdom of God, where where God is king and you're, you're submitted to him and you love him and you're serving him and you're in relationship and connection with him right now. You don't, it's not a gospel for the day after you die. It's a gospel, a good news that starts right now and, and what it means to follow Jesus and live in the kingdom today. So that is probably the biggest sort of like nuclear explosion in my spiritual mm. mind and heart that was like, oh my gosh, well, I have to rethink everything now. 
and I'm still doing that. I think I'm still in the process of rethinking everything and trying to rearrange all the furniture now so it sort of makes sense. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of what started the ball rolling. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think all this conversation, well, first of all, it's a courageous book, Keith. And I, I really I admire you for writing it. It's not, you know, I really believe that the evangelical religion stands on, on, a, on some key pillars that hold the religion up. And uh, one of those pillars is, you know, it's Bible worship, it's bibliolatry, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's like um, yep. associating the Bible at, and seeing it as synonymous as this idea of the word, the word of the divine. And yep. I think it's a real problem. And your book really exposes and is really attacking that pillar that's the linchpin of evangelicalism in many ways. So that's not an easy thing. It's not a light thing to the fact that you're doing. I really admire your courage. So hats off to you, man. Thanks for writing it. And I think it's going to really help a lot of people uh, get clear about some things, um, which is really important for us to free from oh, thank you know, you. this thank destructive you. thing we call yeah, thank you. evangelical Christianity. So, um, but with that said, I do, yeah. okay, there's a lot of conversation and a lot of talk about deconstructing the Bible. You know, and like, okay, so we, we talk a lot about like, yeah, deconstructing, deconstructing and kind of like the problems of the Bible and what the Bible does and all the pitfalls of the Bible. But my question would be, and maybe this is our, obviously this is our topic for the day. Um, the Bible, the B I B L E. Yes. That's the book for me. <laughs> I mean, like what, is, like what it actually the Bible, like, what is it good for? <laughs> that's the question. It kind of reminds me of that song, right? You know? What is it? Good, what is it good for? Good oh. God! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, is the answer so, then absolutely nothing? <laughs> well, no, no, it's not. Um, so, are you asking me, Jamal? Like, what do I think the Bible is good for? Yeah. yeah let's. I mean, I, I feel like this will be a good topic. Like, let's jump yeah. into this. Like, because I mean, we, we do. We talk a lot about what we don't like about it. But what yeah, is yeah. good about the Bible? What is like? Yeah. Uh, you know, like that's the idea. Like, it, can we find any redeeming? qualities of the Bible. Oh yeah. No, I look, I do love the Bible and I and I make a big point about that in the in my book that I, I don't hate the Bible. My gosh, man, I really I I mean, I spend probably 90% of my time either reading it, talking about it, writing a blog about it, doing a podcast about it. I mean, oh my gosh, yes, I really do appreciate and 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 love the Bible. I don't love it the way I used to and I don't love it the way to the point where I feel like it's some that it's this um, magic book, so uh, I just have a different perspective on it. But yeah, I mean, the Bible is there's all kinds of beautiful stuff in the Bible. Uh, I think the main thing the Bible's good for is that it points us to Christ. I think that's the that's if you could just boil it down to why does this book exist? I think the intention, at least God's intention, was that um, that it would point us to Christ. And I think it does that really well if we will let it, if we'll allow it to. That's what it is. It wants to do. That's what it's intended to. It's like a map that's telling you how to get to a very amazing, awesome destination that, that we, unfortunately, some people never actually get there. They just read the map and read the map and read the map and say, wow, isn't that great? But they never actually go there and experience the thing that the map is pointing to, which the Bible, I would say, is pointing us to to an experience and a relationship with Christ. So for me, that is the best thing about the Bible. Yeah, and I and I would I would I'd be right there with you, Keith. Um, I think the only reason, like folks like you and myself, and especially Jamal, I guess, because um, of what Jamal said on the podcast about the Bible, I'm sure people. The, it seems like the only people who really, 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 really have a problem with our views of the Bible, not that we all agree, but is that because we just haven't elevated it um, to where some people have gone? And I, and, and I would think that, of course, um, if you've elevated the inspiration of Scripture to almost be synonymous with God, of course you're going to see our view of the Bible um, or views of the Bible that would be like, like our three on the show and, and many others who we read. Um, that's the only reason it looks like, like we hate the Bible, but I'm right with you, Keith. I, I, I do think the Bible points to Christ. I think like, like Rene Girard said, it's a text in travail and, and we have to be careful because 
yeah, and it's time for you guys to take shots because I mentioned mimetic theory in some way. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it, but it's, but it's a perfect. I mean, it, it, it can be dangerous, which is why we do a lot of talking about the Bible in the negative ways on the show. It, but I think it's only dangerous when we when we use it for dangerous ideas. And in that way, it can be dangerous. But I, I love it because unlike other mythologies in our history's past, it includes the voice of the oppressed and the victim and the forgiving yeah. victim when we get to Christ. See, that's, see, that's when, when we read old ancient myths like Romulus and Remus, and this is the founding myth of how Rome got founded. So two brothers kill, you know, one kills the other over this argument over an omen about birds. And, and, and Romulus gets to pick then where Rome's going to be founded. Remus just is killed. That's it. Right? So Romulus is the champion of Rome. When we get to the Bible, and this is a reason why I love the Bible, is Cain and Abel is a murder, and Abel has a voice after he's dead. It's like, right. that's, that's fascinating because we don't see that. Oedipus, when Oedipus gets kicked out of Thebes for you know, um, killing his dad and fucking his mom, it, it's not like... <laughs> Oedipus gets this wait wait a second here he doesn't he doesn't get to say hold on now you know he doesn't have a voice he's expelled you know so that's what we see in ancient myths and so when we get to the bible it's like oh well there's there's these other stories about a suffering servant about a job and you know so we get all these stories that aren't like the counterparts you know what right. i mean right right yeah you're right i mean i think the uh the Bible can be a very subversive book, again, if you will let it. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the ways people read the Bible and approach the Bible today, um, we miss that. You know what I mean? Like even even when I used to like really uh, advocate a lot on my blog, and you know, a couple of years ago, I was like really talking about like uh, you know God's heart for the poor and how it's such a huge part of the DNA of the early church. Uh, and it's all through the Bible. It's not just New Testament. It's Old Testament too. Um, right. It's amazing. It was shocking to me how many Christians who were even some of the ones who say they love the Bible were completely blind to all of these verses in the Bible where where God is giving a voice to the poor and the oppressed and the orphan and the widow and commanding us to love them and care for them and saying that if you don't love and care for them, you don't love and care for me and on and on and on. And it's like, it's not a small theme in the Bible. It's a pretty darn major theme in the Bible, mm -hmm. but most Christians miss it because again, they're not reading it from the perspective of the oppressed. They're still reading it sort of as uh, proud citizens of the empire. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's dangerous. That, that's one of the dangerous things. Wow. That yeah. is. Can I, can I, I feel like I, I need to just be honest with you guys. Can I be honest? Just completely honest. Please. We would love that. Well, um, I really don't like the Bible. I'm, we know. We, we know. Nothing. Nothing. There's not a single thing. There's nothing good. Well, let me nothing. clarify that. I, I like, I'm not saying I don't like some of the writings that are included in the Bible. Like, because I think the writings, you know, I'm talking about the, the Hebrew writings and the New Testament writings that we, that are included in our current Bible. I think I, I think there's some beautiful, beautiful and amazing things in there. I'm talking about the Bible itself. I'm talking about this idea that talking about the idea of the Bible, the idea of the yes. Bible that there's a yeah. cover okay. that starts with Genesis yeah. and ends with Revelation. I think it's the worst yeah. freaking idea that any human being has ever invented. Like I really feel like if you look at history, the Bible, the creation of the Bible, the canon of Scripture is literally the worst decision that people claiming to follow Jesus has ever made. It, it, it just squelched so many voices. It, it, it perverted those writings to say things they were not saying. It actually caused us to become blind to, to our own nature, our own authority, our own internal governing system. It was literally the downfall um, of, of many, many, many people. And I just feel like the world would be so much better off if they didn't read the Bible. Like, I just feel like it is a, it has caused so many problems. Again, if we didn't oh, yeah. have the Bible, there was no, there was no councils with, you know, the select male figures that were appointed to like, tell us what was inspired and what wasn't. If we didn't have any of that, 
and we didn't have this creation of this magic book, we'd be just fine because we were just fine before it. And we would still have the writings that would, you know, I feel like what's, what needs to stand the test of time usually does to some degree and what doesn't, doesn't. And it's okay. It doesn't mean it's not important or it was important or whatever. I just feel like, um, it, the world would not be missing out on anything. Um, and I think really what the Bible did was create one big filter um, to to cause people to miss the point entirely, which I think you can just look at history and go, what has the Bible actually done for people? Um, and I would say it's not done very much. And that's why I think if you look at the life of Jesus, which I know we're reading from <laughs> the gospels are included in there. I get that. But if you, if you, if you follow the Bible's example in the sense of the Bible has many contradictory examples, but if you just look at Jesus, the story of Jesus found in the Bible, you will see him doing something. You don't see him pointing to the Bible as the source of authority. You never see that. Um, he uses the Bible when he's arguing. And those arguments didn't really turn out too well, I don't feel like, in the sense of changing hearts and minds of the people he's arguing with. He argued with the Satan in the wilderness using scripture, because that's what the Satan used, by the way, was scripture to justify his points. He was People can say he was twisting it or whatever the Satan figure was doing, but that's what was going on. So Jesus responded back using the same criteria. Um, the Pharisees used their, their basis of authority was the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. So Jesus spoke their language as a Jew, and he quoted the scriptures back to him, but always to argue, and it never really went very well. But when he was talking to his friends and people that were following him, and he wanted to unpack the reality of the way and the nature of the kingdom of God. He did not use the Bible. He used nature and he used stories, which is the equivalent of this, what we do today with songs and movies. You know, he used everyday life relationships, family relationships, like father, fathers and mothers and children and, you know, siblings and how you relate. He used real life examples to extrapolate the way and what yep. God was like. And I just feel like we can do that today. We don't need the Bible to do that. Right. Yeah. So you, you, two things that you said there, I think are awesome, Jamal. And uh, I have, if I can, real, two real quick comments. So one of them is I agree with you um, that the Bible totally can get in the way and, and prevent us. And honestly, this is what I'm saying in my book, right? Liberating the word of God from the Bible. Like, I think the Bible can prevent us from hearing the voice of God, which is, it sounds crazy. But it's like if you're only reading a book and you're clinging to a book written, you know, about about what God did two thousand years ago or more, and you're you're only stuck on well, God did this and said this two thousand years ago. I think you're not hearing what He's saying right now to you today, and that is one of the problems. But so so as an example, you know, the early Christians we're talking from the time of Jesus all the way before you know they canonized Scripture. Um, no Christian had a Bible in their lap. They didn't own the scroll of Isaiah. They didn't even have personal copies of the letters uh, of the Gospels or the letters of Paul. So what did they have? Well, they had the Holy Spirit. And what the beautiful thing that you see happening is that when they come together, the Spirit of God speaks to them, and, and, and the Spirit says, go here, send Paul and Barnabas there, go preach the Gospel over there, go establish a, a, a gathering of believers in Ecclesia over here. And they just hear it, and they go and they do it. And I think it's because they didn't have a Bible in their lap that for 300 years, they were able to exponentially, the gospel exploded. You know, so many people came to know Jesus uh, and, and the power of the gospel during the time before the canon because nobody had a Bible in their lap and they didn't say, when the Spirit spoke to them about doing something, nobody could turn to a Bible and say, well, hold on a minute, brother, hold on. Let me look over here and see if that lines up with this book here. And, and you know what I'm saying? I think that's because as soon as there was a book in someone's lap, now all of a sudden the spirit gets checked by, well, hold on a minute. What was God saying 2000 years ago? Hold on a minute. What was God saying 6,000 years ago? Instead of like, no, screw that. What's he saying right now? Let's do what he says right now. And so it's, it's, um, it's kind of prevented us from hearing what the spirit is saying. And now I'm going to throw something out. And I think this is, uh, I touch on this in my book, but I want to hear what you guys think about this. I always hear this from people when, we, when I talk about hearing the Spirit and being led by the Spirit uh, in connection with the Bible, and they'll always, always quote this, this to me. They'll say, yes, but if the Spirit speaks to you, 
the spirit will never contradict what is written. And so false. I hate that's false. I, I know false. exactly. Yeah, I hate that statement because basically what you're saying is if that's true, well then why listen to the spirit at all? Because all he's going to do is tell me what's already written down in the book. And I think that's false. Like you said, that is BS. That is not true. In fact, if you want to go and look, and I do this in my book, uh, every, actually the opposite is true. Every time the Spirit of God speaks to someone and moves, it usually does contradict what's written. <laughs> and actually, once you realize that, then it's suddenly like, oh, crap. I can't be stuck in this hardened cement of what God said and did 2,000 or 6,000 years ago. I have to be a, have a live, a living, alive, breathing, fresh relationship with God through the Holy Spirit right now, or I'm not going to hear what He's saying or in what He's doing. So anyway, that's my that was just my two cents. Yeah, I I will I will totally agree with that last thing. Except I will say that the Spirit will always um, be in um, lined up with what is written. In John 20, when Jesus comes back as the forgiving victim and says, forgive others as in the same way I have forgiven you. And that's when he breathes the Holy Spirit. Yep. And so I will say that, yeah, the writings right there in John 20, 19 through 23 will be what the spirit is all about. It's all about it's all about shalom. It's all about forgiveness. It's right. all about emulating Christ and that preemptive forgiveness that Christ brings to us, which then raises the question, how do we then use the writings? Because I will agree with you and say not all the writings are, are spirit-led. Because, right. I mean, it, it, not all of those things that are written in what we call the Bible are looking a lot like John 20, and, and, and where, where, where Jesus is like, Oh no, I'm coming back from the dead with forgiveness and mercy and you're going to do the same. That's not <laughs> right. That's not the theme of everything in the Bible. So then how the hell are we supposed to discern this like this um because well, I I, yeah. I I'm like I'm like on the fence. I'm in that place of tension and and sometimes we have to embrace the paradox and, and the tensions of yeah, what's written in the Bible sometimes looks exactly like it's inspired by that same spirit of forgiveness. And sometimes, uh, not so much. I think the, where I'm come, where I, you know, where I fall in this whole thing is there, there's a couple of things like, you know, Keith, when you were saying like, you know, when, when oftentimes, even in the recorded in the, in the Bible, like when the spirit reveals something that often contradicts the known scripture of the time. Like, right. obviously I think about Peter when yep. after the resurrection, Peter had the vision on the rooftop, you know, and, uh, that vision like completely contradicted everything he knew people will Christians now will say, well, yeah, because there was a transition from the law and the old covenant to the new covenant. And so that's what was going on. But they somehow like take this idea of the new Testament and say, well, the new Testament is the, now we've got there. It's like, right. it, it's the real deal. So we don't, it, the spirit will never question the new Testament. And I, I totally disagree with that again, because, and this goes back to this idea of how do we, how should we look at the, the, the Bible? And by that, I mean, even the new Testament and the old Testament, I think it's beneficial to look at it as a historical record. I think that's one, uh, probably the primary way I like to look at the Bible is to look at it from the lens of history and say, okay, if you can look going back to the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, you can say, here was humanity at a certain point in humanity's evolution that had like, I, I love the stories of like Exodus and where like, you know, they're tribal and they, they're polytheistic even, you know, and they're thinking just like a lot of the Semitic cultures uh, were in that time period. And you have the Hebrews who are, and here you have the, the, the story of the divine kind of what Matt was also talking about. Like you can see like, Oh my goodness, like the whole mimetic rivalry, the mimetic idea that, uh, you know, it, it, the voice of the victim is now being elevated. You can see that. I think that's a real fascinating idea because what you're seeing is, wow, that was a revolutionary idea that the voice of the victim is given precedence over the, the voice of the victimizer. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a revolutionary concept in human evolution. Oh, and yeah. so when God is revealing God's self, the divine is revealing the divine to humanity and saying basically, hey, like all people come from the same source. It's a revolutionary thought in human evolution. Um, 
because it was very tribal. The idea in Semitic, ancient Semitic cultures were that every tribe has their own God. And of course, when the God of Israel, so to speak, is being revealed, no, that God is saying, no, no, we're all from the same place. There is no separation in that sense. Right. So that's a revolutionary right. idea or where God says, oh yeah, you, you want to, you, you're asking for my name, but I'm going to tell you a state of being that God describes God's self as I am or the state of being or isness. That's a powerful evolutionary construct that is, I do believe is inspired. It's amazing. I think we should look at it as a record of how the divine has been revealing God's self through human history. But if we look at the Bible, and I, this means also in the New Testament, in my opinion, as a guidebook for how we should be living today, that's where I think it gets really dangerous because right, right. the Bible, I love what Carlton right. Pearson said. He said, the Bible is, is mankind's inspired revelation about God, which I believe, but it's more expired than it is, than it is inspired today. And I actually agree with that. I think a lot of the, even the stuff that Paul talks about, about how to deal with communities and how to deal with people, I think that is way expired and we've actually need to move beyond that. And I know that sounds crazy, but that means you have to listen to your internal guidance systems, which are continuing to evolve long and way past where the writers of the, of the scriptures were coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, I agree with both you guys on that. Like, I think the, the clarification would be that we would be spirit led. And I think that that begins with, uh, like, it's gotta, it's gotta be about being, con- being connected to Christ. Like that's where it starts. And that's where, without that, we're not going to have discernment without that. We're not going to be, we're not going to hear the voice of, of the spirit. We're not going to be led by the Holy spirit. Um, and now I, I get though, when we talk like this and we start saying, we start suggesting to people the idea that God is still moving. God is still speaking. God is still just as active today in his people as he was 2000 years ago or more. Um, and, and that we should be led more by the spirit of Christ within us than by something, what God was doing 2000 years ago or more. Um, because the, the question that always comes up when I bring that up is, well, then that's dangerous, Keith, because what if we get off track? What if we hear wrong? What if we make a mistake? And my answer is, well, guess what? By following this book, uh, it's not as if by following that book, we'll never get off track and we'll never make a mistake and we'll never go off, you know, and do something screwy because that's exactly what we've been doing for thousands of years is sticking only to what was written and and thinking that by doing that, we're, we're going to be safe and we're going to not get, stray off the path. Like we're going to, human beings ability and, and tendency to get it wrong and be let off track is going to happen no matter what. I just feel like we're we're actually safer if we are truly connected to Christ. We are truly, uh, you know, in connection with the divine through the Holy Spirit, and we're we're drawing our life out of that. We're drawing our our uh, wisdom out of that. Our, our we're living our life from that place. I think that's exactly what Paul urges us to do: is to is to connect to to God through Christ. That our life is hidden in Christ. That wisdom comes from Christ. Um, that that this is what it's all about. You know, can I real quick? I'm going to read something from the Bible of all things. But someone just shared this verse this week, and I swear I have read this verse a thousand times, and I never saw it this way before. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, verse four, and Paul says, "The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ." who is the image of God. And again, I think that's one of the key pieces of what the gospel is all about that we miss is the idea that what is the light of the gospel? The the light of the gospel is that Jesus looks like God and that God looks like Jesus, that he's not this angry, vengeful, bloodthirsty, wrathful God, that he looks like Jesus. And, and that's what the enemy, what Paul says, the God of this age has blinded people, yes, even Christians, uh, that, that they are using the Bible, but they're missing, uh, they're missing the truth and the light of, the, of the, the, the gospel, which is the idea that God looks like Jesus. Uh, and I think if we start there, we'll end up in a much better place than we've ended up uh, lately. Right. And, and I think that's a, that's a, great segue into what I wanted to say, which is even Christians are missing this. And I would go so far as to say even Christians who wrote what is in the New Testament 
which is um which makes it very difficult for us to because i've never liked this idea well that was in the old testament but in the new testament that's our guide and it's like well no that's not even good enough because right you can't sit here and convince me that peter and james and the jerusalem church and folks who had a hand in the new testament and and, and thoughts in the early in early christianity agreed with paul and paul with them and, and, and so when we're talking about the gospel well the new testament i don't think paints I mean, it paints a good picture of what the gospel is, but I don't think they got it in many ways. And and there were some Christians, if we go to Paul's writings, who had a little tiny bit of law in their gospel, which yep. is no gospel as, as at all, which is what Paul says in his letter to the Galatians. Yep. And and, and that was just as little as, as snipping the tip of your dick off. <laughs> and, and, and a couple other things. Oh, but just as a, just as little as that. Nothing big. Just, nothing just big. As little. Just snipping off the. <laughs> well, it depends, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, am I problematizing this? Sure. Did I say that just so you take a shot? Of course. But but that problematizes things to where we cannot, and, and I, this is where I'm right with Jamal. It's like, yeah, I don't even think the New Testament gets it. And it, it would be nice in theory if we could say, well, the Old Testament got it wrong, but the New Testament got it right. So I can just clearly, I can just read what's clear in the New Testament. Um, yeah, not not so easy again. No, nope, I know, agree. I wish. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I want to, if, if I could, I just address, you know, like I, you know, obviously I wrote a book a couple years ago, Free to Love, and, you know, I'm working on another book right now. And I, I use scripture, the Bible, verses from the Bible, obviously in my, in my writings, because I'm talking to a specific audience. Heresy! <laughs> but, you know, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I do use it. And I, I do think, like, the reason I use the Bible when I'm communicating um, to people is because that is our context. You know what I mean? Like it, like a lot of folks are coming out of the church world. Like a lot of the audience of the people I'm talking to are people who have, who are, you know, like all of us, we've been affected by evangelical Christianity. So the Bible has been our, our textbook. And so I, I do use it because that's the language. Like if I didn't use the Bible, like a lot of times people would be like, well, where, wait a minute, what's your authority or right. where are you coming from with this and that kind of thing. And so, but I, if, if I'm just being completely honest, I really am looking forward to the day in which I don't use the Bible and that we're appealing to people's essence, their spirit, their life, their love. You know, like I, I still remember a politician in 2016, uh, I think it was John Kasich, you know, um, and they asked him like, do you use the Bible to make decisions you know, in your daily life and also in your governing policy. And he goes, you mean like just human decency, like loving the, our neighbors and loving, you know, my family? He goes, do you really need the Bible? to?" T-? I was shocked. And he said, he goes, do you really need the Bible to tell you to be decent? Do you really need the Bible to, like, if you're married and like, do you need to read the scriptures that talk about loving your wife? Like, is that why you do it? Because even if, if that's your motivation, that's a very low level motivation. Like, appealing to 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 verses on a page or commands like this is like this i'm just telling you, you're missing out on the meat of life because really yeah. i want to just look forward to the day where people can appeal to their essence and their love as for why we live the way we live we can appeal to nature we can appeal to story why do we have to appeal to a book i'm not saying we can't i'm just saying i would like to get to the day in which that's not even necessary yeah. But I, for now, I use the Bible because I feel like that's where people are. And, you know, so I'm reluctant in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would tend to agree with you. But I, I, I feel like even if we progress to a place where we didn't, I would still say, well, look at the story. Look at, I mean, it, it, if you if you think about the gospel in what in, in, you know, it depends on, of course, how we define what the gospel is, right? But the gospel in, in, in being the good news of what God has already done, if we understand that this whole overarching meta narrative of the story gets to this place where we killed God and God forgave us, yeah, like that's a badass story. That's a fucking cool story. So I, I would always want to. I all it's again living in the uh, the tension of the paradox. Like it is probably one of the more dangerous notions. This notion of the Bible, and we've seen it play out in real time, where certain theologies derived from the Bible are used to justify all sorts all sorts of bullshit. 
Mm-hmm. And then it's also got the it's also got the gospel story in there, which is the most unbelievably um just completely subverts the notion of power and and what God is like and, and is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, I think that's the beauty of this Bible is that we can have these conversations where we disagree and agree in some spaces and, and disagree in other spaces and then come to the point where we have to live in that tension because there is tension in the Bible. And, and even if we think the Bible is clear, we're not reasoning it in a clear way because we're fallible, fucked up, culturally relevant, living within most of the time patriarchal societies or we have certain slants and bents that we approach the bible to and so of course there's always room to justify our own bigotry and misogyny um so yeah it's just it's this unit of consciousness i guess where it's like i hate what people do with the bible and i love the uh the overarching theme that i see in the bible yeah yeah you know and and i do i think i want to mention this when it comes to i think it's really necessary again to have a proper understanding of what the Bible is and isn't because I, I, I can just tell you personally, I go back five years, 10 years and back in my own life, the things I'm coming awake to now, like even considering and, and really honoring like my experience with like the divine feminine, understanding God as mother, just as much as father, or even being open to like new ideas about Mary Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a shot now, but like the relationship she had with Jesus, all these things, I could never have even considered that five years ago because of it all had to do with how I viewed the Bible, which I think some people would say, that's exactly why you need to, you know, like keep it in this, you know, understanding that it's a magic book or something because you'll fall for crazy stuff. But no, I mean, like, honestly, though, how do you ever grow and consider new ideas and most new ideas? Uh, that people have come into discovery of um, often initially violated things that people were hanging on to from a biblical perspective. Like, can you imagine, like, like honestly, even thinking about the origins of the universe and how the universe unfolded, the big bang and evolution and these different ideas. If you hang on to the Bible in the sense of the way it's been typically taught to be understood from a fundamentalist perspective, you actually literally lose the ability to think and and discover new ideas about science. Like you just can't, it literally blinds you from it. But I think that same thing goes with all these other areas. Like what if, what if, what if God is actually just as much communicated through the feminine as the masculine and God is actually communicating and revealing God's self, the divine through feminine, through a feminine uh, paradigm in, in a greater way than ever through the, the masculine paradigm or, or at least in a way that's on par and we will never be able to go there until we drop some of the ways we're clinging to the the Bible as we know it. Um, it, it just, I think it's really necessary. And I don't, I think it, 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 it like prevents us from growing and developing just, yeah. just some thoughts there. Yeah. And then one last thing I just wanted to say though, is that I think what I have found fascinating about the Bible is that um, my understanding of the Bible uh has also gone through some so many amazing transformations. You know what I mean? Like some of like what you're saying, Jamal, like, yeah, you might have to entertain an idea or a thought that doesn't necessarily originate in the Bible. But for me, there, there's a great quote by Banksy. I love the, the artist Banksy. And I've got a, an image of, a, of a, like a mural that he painted that says, um, I'll see it when I believe it. And I, and I think that that touches on kind of like what I'm talking about. Like sometimes... Uh, whether it comes from the Holy Spirit, just with, within you, you, you have an idea or a thought, or, or maybe it comes from outside of the Bible or just some other idea you, you, you think about and you think, wow, this seems true. This seems right. Well, then I can read the scriptures and all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, there it is. Like it was there all the time. But until I shifted my thinking, I couldn't see it. I couldn't, uh, I was blind to it in other words. So I think in many ways, this is one of the things that's really fascinating to me about the Bible. I think sometimes there's truths in the Bible that we don't even see or even understand because we've all been raised in a tradition where we've been told this is what the Bible means. This is what it's about. And so because of that, if we read something that challenges those ideas, we just gloss over it. We keep reading and we just say, well, I can't mean that. Um, 
but but suddenly, like if you have a shift in your perspective, a shift in your paradigm, and you go back and look, I mean, I, this has happened to me about many, many things uh, in my life where now I go back now and I read verses and I'm like, oh my gosh, there it is. I never saw that before. You know, like uh, just, even, just even like uh, one of the podcasts we did a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were doing one on sin, right? About what is sin? And I looked mm-hmm. up, I looked up in Romans chapter three, uh, a very famous verse that I could quote, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I looked it up and then I kept reading. And so it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, that verse wasn't that, a verse about... That doesn't mean all, though. That doesn't mean all. <laughs> no. The first one means all, the second one <laughs> Oh, yeah, doesn't. thank you. Thank you for... But see, that's what we do mentally. We, we, we people correct it for us. Oh, it can't mean that. It can't mean that. But if you just read it with fresh eyes, it's all of a sudden, it's like that verse isn't saying what I was told. This is the thing. I was told what that verse meant. But when I just read it for what it said, it was like, holy crap. That verse actually says the opposite. The verse says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace. Like, wow, that's amazing. So uh, this is why I think the connection that we have personally, individually with Christ has the potential for helping us to go through a personal transformation and then remove a veil from our eyes that Paul says there's a veil that covers our eyes to this day that only is removed through Christ, that Christ removes that veil, and then we can clearly see. And I think our whole Christian life is a progression of removing layers and layers of those veils that culture and religion and so many other things have have put on us that need to be removed. And I think uh, it's a connection to Christ that helps us achieve that and reach that. Yeah, that'll preach. That'll preach. Yeah. So we're going to get into some bonus time only for Patreon listeners. That's right. So yeah. if you want bonus coverage, get on that Patreon page. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>